advance. You're listening to Button Check. I'm David. And I'm Isaiah. And this is a podcast about video games. Because we no one you haven't heard that one before. <laughs> no, we're we're doing a podcast about video games. I hope you didn't hear that part. <laughs> the headphones just falling down. We, okay, we we have to get the giggles out. Right. This is how we start a podcast. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. I'm David. I like to talk about video games. I do stuff on the internet about video games sometimes, and I enjoy streaming and talking about video games. My name's Isaiah, and I just like playing video games and, um, you know, spending like thousands of hours on Skyrim. I've never played Skyrim. <sighs> that is like a, a cardinal sin. I don't like I don't like open world games like that, though. That's you're, See, here's the thing about open world games. You're not actually open world. Because there's always a limit to how far you can go. I mean, yeah, but... <laughs> so... Hmm. I feel like that's a topic for another time. But no, <laughs> this being our first episode, we felt it more fitting to kind of be more of an introductory episode. The way that these that this show will work, Button Check, the podcast, is uh, less about news. We'll probably talk about a news thing if it's big enough every so often. But right. for the most part, we kind of want these episodes to kind of... Uh, kind of work on their own as their own thing so none of them trying to be particularly dated unless we just have a hot take about something and we're just like oh boy and i don't want to listen to that one again right right so we'll have like a general topic and that'll kind of be how these episodes work this particular episode we'll shoot for about half an hour we'll see how that works but this being an introductory episode our topic today is our personal favorite games you know, exactly. we feel it's a good idea for you guys to kind of get an idea of the types of games that we enjoy going forward as we talk about other game gaming topics. So we'll talk about maybe like two, maybe three of our personal favorite games yeah. each. So do you want to go first or I can go first? It's up to you. Um, yeah, I'll go, I'll go first. Okay. Um, okay. So one of my favorite all-time all personal games is uh, Dragon Ball Budokai 3 mm. for the... PlayStation 2. Okay. Right? And even though I never had a PlayStation 2, I would always go to my cousin's house and play this game because I was obsessed with it. So much so that I got an emulator for it. <laughs> and so... Like an emulator recently or of the t- a PS2 emulation of the time? Uh, not really a thing, but, you know... Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, I'm, that's impressive. <laughs> anyway. It's like I had to hand build my own emulator back in the day. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you know, I always was obsessed with Dragon Ball as a kid, and so, you know, um, just love fighting games, and so that was kind of like my gateway into fighting games, like the actual competitive fighting games, so. Nice. I know I, I enjoy a lot of fighting games, too. Mostly, I don't want to say Smash Brothers. Right. But, I mean, I enjoy playing Smash Brothers. But they're can, fighting each other. I mean, yeah, I can get really competitive in a game of Smash yeah. Brothers. But, like, when I think of competitive fighting games, I'm thinking of, like, Virtual Fighter or, like, Tekken yeah. or Street Fighter. You know, that that's the... Those are the... Not necessarily the types of games I grew up playing. Right. Like, I yeah. got into those, like, more of a... Like, I, I don't really... You, you, that's more of a... Would you call Budokai an anime fighter? Yeah, like, I mean, like it's not—it's kind of its own thing when you think yeah. about it. Because it was like, an anime fighter before anime fighters were like super mainstream. Like when I think of anime fighter now, it's more of its own genre yeah. of fighting. It kind of like like fighters, like the Arxis yeah. or like your Dengeki Bunko fighting climax. Yeah. You know, shit like that. That—that's—that's that's an anime fighter, but yeah. it has—it has to have that two D 
style of yeah. fighting. Budokai is its own thing. Like there was a like a wild world of like three D fighters in like the early to mid two thousands yeah. that weren't like that weren't striving to be competitive. They're just being like just fighting games yeah. for the hell of them being just fighting being games. like what you would see in the anime itself. Yeah, converted into a, a a video game of a time where Bloody Roar Primal Three was the best three D <laughs> fighting game ever made. No. I love Bloody Roar. <laughs> Bloody Roar is amazing. Oh, man. Then that's all you got for Budokai? Yeah, that's all. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll hit you with probably my favorite game of all time. Okay. Okay. We may. This might be the most... This may be a majority of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I love Daytona USA 2. It is an arcade racer. It is the sequel to Daytona USA. Maybe you've heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, yeah, sure. No, so, <laughs> growing up, like, I loved race cars as a little kid. I fucking loved my little Hot Wheels cars, made the Hot Wheels tracks and everything. Uh, didn't give a shit about Matt NASCAR. Never watched it. Never right. got into sports as a kid. Uh, as much as I wanted to say, like, yo, I'm a fan of NASCAR. Yeah, Jeff Gordon. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know who the fuck this guy is. I'm just right. saying, because I like racing. I just like, you know, racing's Are you cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Dale wasn't dead at the time. So, you could say that. <laughs> but no I, I just remember Daytona 2 came out in 98 90, yeah like 98, 99 and uh, I'd always been aware of the original Daytona I never played it when I was super young I always saw it in the local arcade it was the loudest thing there I recognized the song yeah. and everything but I just never played it there was like one actual time I played it I was like 6 and some some woman in her like toddler petulant child just like hey play this we're not gonna play this anymore so i just hopped in she was already off track i hit the gas button again hit the gas pedal just kept on doing donuts and i'm like i don't get this so i just left that was daytona one okay daytona two though i remember i was in first grade and uh my mom she's like hey if you learn how to tie your shoes, I'll take you to the arcade. And I'm like, hell yeah, Ma, let's do it. That's an amazing incentive. Right? Like, okay. Like... And so here in Wilmington, uh, we're based in Wilmington, North Carolina, by the way. I am. You're not. Yeah. I'm based for, I'm based for a place where no one even has heard of, but yeah. It, yeah, Taper City. You know? Sure. <laughs> Southeastern North Carolina is where we're based. Yeah. There used to be like a, a locally owned like type of establishment that was I guess the best best described as like a Dave and Busters. Okay. It was that type of format. It was like a I wouldn't say upscale, but it was like one of those like family fun centers, but like it's like it's a restaurant where you can have like a banquet hall and like have parties and it had like a big arcade. Yeah. But this arcade had the all the deluxe versions of all the big arcade games of the time. So yeah like Deluxe Daytona had like Ocean Hunter with the enclosed cabinet. He had like games I'd never heard of there was like a tank game where you got in these tanks and every time you shot it meant like a giant tank firing noise and it scared the shit out of me every time I shot the tank. I don't remember. I think it was like Tokyo Wars. I think it was what That's it was insane. It, no, that thing was cool. Yeah. But yeah, they had all these weird, crazy arcade games. Like, anyway, they had a deluxe Daytona 2 Power Edition. There it is. So, me, I, I was in first grade. I was like six, maybe seven years old. And just... Hopping into this giant cockpit of a racing cabinet and just like, just driving. I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Right. Like, like the force feedback of the wheel, the way that the, like the actual cabinet moved as you were driving. I wasn't any good at it. I didn't understand the nuances of how the game controlled. I mean, you didn't have a license. That too. <laughs> like, like, 
I but I just kept on playing it. That and like a bunch of other games, but I always right. but like Daytona really stuck out to me. Specifically, Daytona Two just stuck. Like out to you me. always came back to it. Yeah, like ever since that one moment, that was the first time I ever really played that game, and. I I hope I still have this journal entry. Like we in first grade, we had like a daily journal. Okay. We have to write about like, oh, here, what did you do over the weekend, or what did you do like yesterday? And I made a little journal entry about how my mom took me to this arcade and I played Daytona two for the first time, and I talked about how this is my favorite game ever. And uh, I guess that hasn't changed, right? <laughs> I mean. I mean, it has changed, but I've it's come full circle where I'm like, nah, this game's kind of perfect to me. Yeah. The way that the car handles, it feels... Okay, so you got three vehicles in Daytona 2. You got the easy vehicle, the medium vehicle, and the hard vehicle. Okay. I always go the hard vehicle with manual transmission. And the way the heavy, the heavy car, the hard car, it's a lot heavier, it's harder to turn, but it goes super fast. And that first track... Which is the first track in like every Daytona game. It has the same layout. Where it's like three left hand turns. To like the first two are like quite normal turns, and the last turn is like a heavy hairpin turn, kinda. Okay. But you, the the key is you want to keep your speed in that turn. Right. So it emphasizes on teaching you how to drift, and that was like the first real major mechanic that I learned from that game because the little attract mode that plays when no one's playing the game, it shows you like a little demonstration of the game. Uh, it showed you how to perform the drift. And, like, it had, like, actual, like, identifiers of, like, hey, here's your gas pedal, here's the brake pedal. When you get to this point in the track, the, in the track will pause, it'll say, tap the brake and then slam on the gas pedal and just whip the, whip the steering wheel and then just kind of, like, balance it. Right. And that's how you drift in that game for the most part. And I got so obsessed with that, like, years down the, years down the line, like, I was in high school, and I started re... re uh, Reacquainting myself with that game because I had just learned, I just got my driver's license. I learned how to drive. I would drive to the arcade to play Daytona 2. Okay. And I just became obsessed with learning how to properly. I wanted to finish the first track in first place, which isn't easy. Like, it's an arcade game, they right. make it purposefully hard. So I want to make it like, I want to complete this track. I want to get in first place playing the arcade game. So I would go back and I would just keep trying, trying different techniques. I came across this YouTube channel called Marubaku Replays. It was this like Japanese, I don't want to say esports team because yeah. it definitely wasn't, but it was this like Japanese squad of like incredible time attack racers that would go to Japanese arcades and just set like world record times for these arcade games. And they have a YouTube channel, Marubaku Replays. Just look it up. I don't think they they don't really upload anymore, but like all their videos are like super old. Okay, it's like VHS quality because they actually made a video strategy guide in Japan for Daytona Two, huh. and uh, I just followed their replay. What they would do is they would choose manual transmission, so I learned how to drive stick because of Daytona Two. Yeah, yeah. That's how we learned how to drive manual transmission for the most part, and I just watched them like they would tap the brake, but they would like shove the. Uh, the manual, they would shove it from fourth gear to third gear, like just whip it back and forth and just like crank it. And the car would be like literally sideways to the turn, but they kept all of their speed. All of it. And I'm like, fuck, I got to do that. So I went to the arcade the next day and I tried that and I'm like, oh, fuck, this game's amazing. <laughs> and so I like took all these techniques I was, I was watching from their videos and applying it to the game. And I'm like, 
like lightning in a bottle moment. I'm like, this game has so much nuance that I never knew it had. It like re like reinvigorated. Yeah, my interest in this game that was already high, and it just oh fuck that game handles so good. <laughs> fuck. Uh, the tracks are good. There's only three tracks. Fourth, if you count Power Edition, which the fourth track in Power Edition is all three tracks as one point-to-point race. Like, they're all interconnected. Uh, the second track is, like, driving through a giant fucking amusement park. The third track is, like, driving through a city. But, like, they all require their own type of nuance and handling to get through right. the corner. So, like, they require their own method of learning. Game's never been released at homes. It's only been in the arcade. Never come to home consoles, ever. So the only way to play it is if you find one in an arcade. Right. Or if you emulate it, which a right. model or Sega Model 3, the arcade board that Daytona, that Daytona 2 runs on, Supermodel is the emulator that runs on, runs great. Wide, native widescreen, 4K, all that stuff. Wheel support with force feedback. It feels like you're playing the arcade game with, with a You know, wheel. like, it's always so interesting when, like, older games have such support. Yeah. Right? Like, it, it just goes to show you that, like, Older games have an amazing impact mm-hmm. on like just shaping the way games are today, right? Yeah. So I mean, that's interesting. Like, I love Daytona One. Daytona Two definitely my personal favorite, but Daytona right. One, I still consider the most important game ever made for a number of reasons, other than the fact that like it's a really awesome, fun racing game. But this is a three D polygonal game with like properly mapped textures yeah. on objects. This is a 3D game from 1993 that runs at 60 frames per second. Like, nothing looked this good yeah. that, from that That's long innovative. Ago. Yeah. It was, I, I don't want to say it was the first, but it was the first mainstream popular, yeah. like, yo, we got to make our games look like this. Right, yeah, yeah. Like that. It set the standard. Yeah. Daytona 2 set the standard for arcade racing. Okay. Daytona 1 set the standard. Daytona 2 made it better. Yeah. And then no one thought to think Daytona 2 made it better, so they kept on doing whatever the <laughs> fuck they want. Fuck. Man. Uh, I'm almost done. Sega has re-released Daytona 1 in like an, an amazing re-release back in like 2011, 2012-ish on 316 PS3. That's the only time they've ever re-released it, the arcade version. They've made like home console ports and stuff before that. Uh, there hasn't been a modern day Re-release of that game on the last previous gen, which would be PS4, Xbox One. There hasn't been an official PC release within the last decade or so. But they released, they did like a third game called Daytona Championship USA. But it 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 looks it looks new. It looks nice. It's supposed to play exactly like the first game, which it does to its own detriment. I don't like the direction they took. They called it Daytona 3, and then they got smart and took out the 3. It was the smartest thing they ever did, because they realized, yo, this ain't a third, this isn't the third game. Daytona 2 is the best game ever made. <laughs> <laughs> it's like enough said. Yeah. Daytona 2 is the, is the greatest. Okay. I um, wanted so hard to make a video about Daytona 2, I can't fucking do it. Because then I ramble like I just did. Yeah, it would be like I've, a 30 I've, minute long I've th- video. I tried three times writing a video about Daytona 2. I cannot do it. <laughs> I just can't do it. Everything is like... Uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? I need a thesaurus in front of me. Everything is like such absolutes and like, yo, this is like the best thing ever. Greatest thing ever. The most amazing thing yeah. ever. You know, like I just keep saying stuff like that about every aspect of the game. I'm like... I can't make a video about this game as much as I try. 
Daytona 2, best game ever made. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Well, all right. All right. All right. So, nope. so, and none of none of these are like my 100%, I guess, favorite, but these are all games that I really, really like. Okay. Right? And so, another game is Witcher 3, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, people always say that, they're like, oh, it's the greatest, best game ever, you know, but I feel like there's a, uh, there's, there are people who play the game and say that, but don't actually mean it. Because what they mean is that the DLC is the best DLC ever created. And the game base game itself is actually very average, right? But I actually genuinely like the whole game. Mm-hmm. And so I've played a lot of open world games, right? You know, I've played I've played Skyrim, I've played like some older ones. I mean, you can even consider uh, some of the Zelda games open world if you sure. think about it. I, right? I love me some Zelda games. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I've been around the block a few times. Um, but I got to tell you, dude, like this game, it's, it was made in a time period before like uh, NPCs felt real. Mm-hmm. And so it was one of the first games to make these NPCs that kind of felt like they were actually like characters and not just NPCs because there was there's there's often a good ending, a bad ending, and a medium ending. And like the medium ending is kind of like the gray area. But like most games, you know, they just give you good and bad for like NPC encounters. But this game went the extra mile and did, you know, all three, which I think is like very very important because Often cases, things are not good or bad. They're in the middle in real life, right? Like, if, if you're walking down the street and you get in a conversation with somebody and you guys get in the fight, you're both going to jail. It's not this person beat this person up and walked away, right? Mm-hmm. There's, <laughs> there's no clear. So, um, this game does a great job of that. And, I mean, the combat is probably the weakest part of the game. But you can kind of ignore that, right? Because mm-hmm. it's an open-world game. So... You're more entranced in the stories and the relationships of others. That's that selling point. You know what I mean? And so I think that like it does a great job of that. Also, the, the music in the game is really good. Um, when you when you have a game like that, you have to have good music because if you don't, then it just gets really, really boring and repetitive and you get tired of hearing the tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking... So I mentioned a little bit about the DLC earlier, though. But speaking of the DLC, so... They have two DLCs, right? And one of the DLCs is takes place on the base map of the game. But the other one, they just decided to just throw in a whole new game. They're like, mm-hmm. okay, let's just go ahead and throw like 10, 20 gigabytes of, of data. Just here, here's a whole new game. It's like, I'm sorry, the other one we made is kind of lackluster, but here's a whole new game. And they're like, you like vampires, right? Not really. Okay, here's vampires. <laughs> It's like, and then you finish it, you're like, oh, I actually like vampires now. It's crazy. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so what the base game lacks, the other picks up in it. Because the, the base game is really good because what it does is it lets you meet Geralt. Because a lot of people didn't play Witcher 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people did, but most people didn't. So they just jumped into Witcher 3 blind. And, um... The thing about that is when you do that, you're kind of not really knowing what's going on with the story. You don't really know what's going on with the characters in it. You don't know anything. So the base game has to basically take take all that stuff that other people know and reintroduce it again. And so that other people can kind of get that first um, encounter with them and learn the characters and whatnot. 
But the but the DLC actually doesn't really have any of the base characters from the main storyline because they're all situated because of the end of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you get to the DLC, it's basically just focusing on uh, Geralt himself and what he wants to do. And so obviously, like he's a monster hunter essentially, right? He hunts monsters and whatever, whatnot. But they go beyond that and they're like, okay, this is this is a person, right? And so. What he really wants to do, and this is what he's been saying since the beginning, he doesn't even want to hunt monsters because what they do is they kidnap these kids like they do in the, with the Jedis. They just take these kids and like, oh, you're a Jedi now. It's like, but they do that with Wait, the so witches. Geralt's a Jedi? Basically. Okay. He's like a middle, middle medieval Jedi, essentially. Because <laughs> what they do is they take these kids and they give them these um, like toxins and they become witchers. However, the success rate for this is like 2 out of 10. Hmm. So you just okay. got a lot of yeah, you just got a lot of kids dying from it. Um, but then they went extra mal with Geralt. They were like, you know what, you did so good with the first toxins, let's give you some more. So they gave him some more, and he survived those. So he's like a super witcher, essentially. Okay. Yeah, um, that's why his hair's white. Oh. Most witchers' hair isn't white; they're they're like normal colored. But because he, so he's got two different colored eyes too. Yeah. Okay. So it's like it's yeah, he's like a super witcher. Um, but um. Yeah, and then also he's got a lot of crazy things about him. Like they call him the White Wolf because he, because he like killed a whole town of people, because they did something to him. They he didn't like it. They call it they, yeah. They call it the massacre of like White Orchard or something like that. Um, they so took, he, he's a morally ambiguous dude. No, he he he's morally just actually. He killed these people because they killed somebody else that they fit, that they felt was like a bad person but realistically she wasn't. Mm-hmm. Like for example, like how they used to burn witches at the stake. Mm-hmm. He okay. yeah, it was okay. a, it was a situation like that and he was like you guys are messed up and I'm not going to let you do it and then they fought and he killed all these people. Gotcha. Um but so he's a morally just guy. Like he won't even kill some monsters. Because mm-hmm. he feels like he'll give every monster a chance before he before he decides to like kill them or whatnot. Like werewolves, if he fights a werewolf, then he's like, okay, are you a good guy or you're a bad guy? And they're like, I only eat people on the weekends. He's like, oh, okay, I guess that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but nah, yeah, it's it's a great game. I, I mean, I uh, I just love you know the open world story, and then you know it has several little plot points. Like they have parodies, like in the the DLC, they have it to where you go to like this fantasy world, and you have to like climb up a beanstalk. Hmm. Um, you have to get like like uh. Like a, the bag of magical winds, you have to get that. Like it's it's like a bunch of little stuff in it, little mm-hmm. Easter eggs. But yeah, nice. <clears throat> I never played any of the Witcher games. I'm not super familiar with them. Uh, a buddy of mine fucking loves The Witcher Three. Mm-hmm. Like he kind of bought it on a whim. Yeah, just because he wanted to be engrossed in like an open world and like yeah. knew how highly those were, uh, like like how highly claimed those were. Yeah, and yeah, he just fell in love with it. Like he. <laughs> He bought one of our friends the base game and not all the DLC, and he's like, "Well, I don't want to play without the DLC," and he just bought it for the DLC and shit. <laughs> fucking, I don't know. I got lucky and got into it whenever they had created the ultimate edition. Yeah. So I got it for like twenty five dollars. I'm pretty sure I own Witcher Three in some form. Yeah, more than likely. Yeah. Everybody owns it, even if they don't play it. I feel like it's a game most people have played once, and you either just don't like it or you like it. I, I just. I don't like traditional open world games like that. Right, like, yeah. For me, I, I'm very picky with my open world games. I'm yeah. like, I 
I have, I have this like vast, huge world to explore. I guess the best example I have would be Metal Gear Solid Five. Okay. Yeah. So you know, like in like the main part, the first part of the game is in Afghanistan. Right. And you have this entire open world to play. Um, I mean, like most people who when Metal Gear Solid Five was coming out, I played Ground Zeroes. Right. When that was new. I loved Ground Zeroes. Yeah. I played the shit out of Ground Zeroes. Yeah. Ground Zeroes. Ground Zeroes was more so like classic. Metal Gear. Yeah. What I loved to how I loved like just that little base. Exactly. But like yeah. just exploring it and then doing like the different objectives like in different ways mm-hmm. and like going about different things and like or just making up my own fun in this like small little base and just yeah. having fun with it. And then I'm like, yo, I'm gonna have an entire like country or like entire like yeah. landmass do all this in Metal Gear Five. Man, I'm gonna have so much fucking fun with this game. I was just so bored with it. Dude. I don't like. I'm in a desert. I'm so bored of this fucking desert. Um, the the main thing though is that when it comes to a game with a massive open world like that, tra- traversal is such a huge thing for me. Yeah. I want from getting from point A to point B to be to be fun because that's yeah. like a big part of the game. I think that's what like, made Skyrim so successful, right? Because you can literally fast travel to anywhere. Essentially, yeah. yeah, but like I, when I think of open world games, and then I go back to and how like, like these massive open worlds, and I just have fun going through them because right. I want the the task of like getting from point A to point B, point B to be just yeah. as exciting. I think to like Breath of the Wild, exactly, yeah, and like I just want to climb everything. I want to go to the highest point and then just jump off and glide as far as I can. I want to go shield surfing. Like traversal in the game was fun as shit, yeah, and that's what got me through most of it because most of my time was just. Going from place to place and just finding fun ways to get there. Well, I think what, and what for holds, most open world games, I don't get that. Yeah, I think what holds Metal Gear back so much too is the fact that it's a military oriented game, right? So you're not trying to like talk to people or enjoy the enjoy getting to the place you're trying to get to, mm-hmm. because you're a military guy, and if you enjoy the place going to where you're going to, then more than likely you're attracting hostiles, and you shouldn't be doing that, right? Yeah. So like that's just. You know, like I enjoyed Ground Zero so much because of how the how confined and focused that tiny yeah. environment was, and I've had friends be like, "You should play the new Hitman games." Yeah, yeah. So I haven't played the new Hitman games yet, but I have the first of the new ones, so I'm gonna I, I need to try those out. The Hitman, the new Hitman games are kind of similar to the old Metal Gear Solid games. Yeah. So yeah, you probably like them. Yeah. So yeah, that, that was your Witcher Three talk. Yeah. And so I guess we'll have time for like two each. Okay. For this particular episode. So, my second game, uh, Jet Set Radio. Okay. Specifically, yeah. <laughs> okay. I should specifically say Jet Grind Radio because I first played this game on Dreamcast when I was a kid. Uh, are you familiar with Jet Set Radio at all? A little bit. Okay. So, Jet Set Radio is a platform action type game with an extreme sport element, but that's not the main focus. You're a punk ass kid on rollerblades just going around. <laughs> Tagging different surfaces with graffiti and avoiding the cops. That is the main crux of the game. That's the main gameplay. Uh, but everything else surrounding the game is what sells it for me. The aesthetic, the graphics, the music. Right. Uh, just the, the tone, the style of it is... It, that game is style over substance all fucking day long. And usually that's like a death knell for a game. Yeah. Like a game can have a really cool style... But the gameplay just isn't there to back it up. This is a game where the style carries it beyond, like, the gameplay isn't generally that great. Right, I got you. But 
you overlook that because the game itself is just so charming. Okay. Like, like it reviewed pretty well back in the day, but I played through it again actually fairly recently, and just kind of and just being really annoyed with a lot of the little side object or just the mechanics in general. Yeah. That the game goes by, and but I I was just so engrossed in that world, like. Oh, I fucking missed this grind. Gotta go up these stairs and do it all over again. I didn't mind because I was listening to some jamming tunes, dude. Oh, <laughs> music's so good. So, in in Jet Set Radio, you play a bunch of punk ass kids. You play as the GGs. It's, there's it's a group of skate punks just going around tagging graffiti. There's other gangs in the city as well. It takes place in on the streets of Tokyo To is where this place takes is where this game takes place. And there is an underground radio station. Named Jet Set Radio, uh, hosted by Pro- DJ Professor K. He's playing some slamming tracks for you, <laughs> just the s- sweet ass hip hop beats. Anything. Right. No, it, it's like the the genre of music actually covers a wide gamut of different yeah. songs and genres of music. But um, in between levels, he has like little. He kind of he's like what carries the story beats along. There's not, it's not the most engrossing story, but it's there and it, could, and it helps move things along a little bit. Um, most of the stuff that you do in the game, it doesn't really correlate to much of a story. Like, story isn't really told through gameplay as much as, like, gameplay gets you to the next cutscene. Okay. More or less. Yeah. Uh, there might be some people that might beg to differ, but that's how I interpret it. Uh, later in the game, it becomes more obvious, like gameplay becomes more integral to the story in, in certain aspects. But for the most part, they're kind of their own thing. It's more of a means to an end. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of open-ended in a way. There's like these enclosed off sections of Tokyo Toe for you to like go and uh, go and uh, play through. Uh, the objectives are just mostly just tag up the different spots on the map and then you finish the level. Um... The characters are very weighty, is the best hmm. way to describe it. It's you, you would think a game about like teens on rollerblades being kind of difficult to control, and it is. <laughs> like, if the jumps are very floaty but weighty, um, when you jump onto a rail, you automatically cling to it and grind. You don't hold on a button to grind. You're just grinding. You don't do tricks by pressing buttons. You just jump at certain points, like perfectly timed jumps. Your guy will do like a trick. Sonic. Sure. Well, sort <laughs> you of. Jump off the ramps. Jump off ramps. He'll sometimes do a trick. Yeah. And just it comes down to like connecting rails and stuff. Like there's a score system. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. But getting nailing a line and like having all these things like work together with how you're moving through the level, it feels really good when it's working. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you go up to a graffiti, there's different. There's three different types of graffiti. There's like one where you have to collect paint cans around the environment. Uh, you go up to certain... There's three different kinds of tags. There's a short one, there's a medium one, and there's big ones. Uh, the short ones, you can just press the tag button and it just tags it. The medium ones, you have to do like motions on your joystick to uh, tag. Okay. And depending on... There's multiple different characters. Depending on your character, they have different skill sets. Like one's fast... Like there's some that are fast. There's some that are like good at jumping. There's some that are good at graffiti. The people who are good at graffiti, uh, their motions are different and much easier to pull off. Gotcha. So... And also, certain characters have more health than others, so that also plays into a role. Uh, all the characters are very, like, bombastic and cool-looking. Yeah. This, the game just oozes so much style. <laughs> uh, 
Um, Plot-wise, uh, you're going through tagging stuff. There's police force that's trying to enforce Tokyo Toe. And you're just being like, no, fuck the police. I'm just going to fucking spray can <laughs> all these things. Uh, and then you come across conspiracy theories of um, apparently there's a, a higher force that's controlling the police force, more or less. And uh, what he's trying to do, he's trying to find a record that will give him superpowers to summon Satan. Oh, wow. More or less. Yeah. The, the record summons Satan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this this part becomes more apparent in like the last 20 minutes oh, of okay. the game. You're like, how do we end this game? Uh, Satan. That, that's kind of how it feels. <laughs> like the beginning of the game is just like you're just being street punks, just tagging shit. And all of a sudden like, oh, I got to stop Satan being summoned. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's a weird boss fight. It doesn't work particularly well, but it works. Uh, the game is held back by how janky its mechanics feel, yeah. but is propelled so far from its style and tone that no other game really feels anything like it. Yeah. There are games that mimic the style. There's no game that plays like it. And the soundtrack is... is I, I carry my enthusiasm for a lot of games because of their soundtracks right a lot of the video game shirts i own are games where i fell in love with because of their soundtracks and jet set radio soundtrack is just one of those that like hit me particularly hard as a kid with how it was just so fun like i never heard a game soundtrack that had this much style to it right there's so many different types of genres that it covered um there's an anime. I don't watch a whole lot of anime, but I've seen a couple. Um, you've probably seen Fooly Cooly. Yeah. And I remember just wait, watching that on Adult Swim one night, super late at night. I had no idea what the fuck I was watching. But just the overall tone and style and the music from like the opening or like from the ending credits, I was like, I feel like I'm watching Jet Set Radio right now. Okay. Like it, and like I just a nostalgia wave of just like. It's interesting though because I could definitely see Fooly Cooly and Jet Set Radio being in the same universe. Yeah. Like, <laughs> in a way, yeah. And they did make a sequel to Jet Set Radio, Jet Set Radio Future. I haven't played a ton of it. Okay. Um, I played it through backwards compatibility on a 360, and the game just runs like ass on there, so I just stopped playing it. Okay. Uh, I didn't really have access to an original Xbox much as a kid, so I missed out on a lot of stuff from then. Uh, that's one of the, well I've re, I've had since got an Xbox I need to reacquire that game in some way so I can because I, I really want to play Jet Set Radio Future yeah. or here apparently emulation of the game is pretty good now but yeah uh, I, I just I mean, emu- really look emulation has just kind of like come a long way anyways yeah Jet Set Radio had such a profound impact on the types of games that I enjoy more in terms of like their tone and style and soundtracks right and. If the gameplay is just kind of sort of there, I can look past a lot of it as long as like I'm just having fun being in that world. Okay. I got you. Daytona 2 also has a fucking awesome soundtrack, dude. <laughs> Holy shit. You know what all the games we've mentioned today have in common? What? They all have great soundtracks. Oh, wonderful. I, I don't wonderful know the Budokai 3 soundtrack. It's great. Okay. I gotta tell okay. you. I'll take your word it's, for it. It's so good that people, that they reuse some of the music in that game. 
and like Tenkaichi, like Budokai Tenkaichi. Mm-hmm. So like they were like, you know what? We can't come up with anything better. We'll just use it again. Well, yeah, I I, I love <laughs> Jet Set Radio. Pretty much what it comes down to, I like Sega games. Like old, yeah. I like old yeah. Sega games. Yeah, I like racing games. I like weird, quirky arcade style games. I like multiplayer shooters too. Yeah. I like my I like Overwatch. I'm playing a lot of Counter Strike. Playing a lot of those mostly with my boys, but I like old games. Yeah. I like a lot of old games. Yeah. What kind of stuff are you into? I mean, you know, anything really. <laughs> I, I'm not great at shooters. I like playing them though. Yeah. Uh, I like Halo. Um, I like love Call me, of Duty. Love me some Halo. But since I'm not great at shooting, I only play Call of Duty Zombies. Mm. So I only play Black Ops. Okay. Um, I used to play Modern War back in the day, but you know how it is. Um, I really, really like the Nintendo 64. Okay. Like every time I just, sometimes I'll find a new Nintendo 64 game I'd never heard of, mm-hmm. and I'll just play that one. Um, I've played like, you know, I don't know if you ever heard of a game called Flying Dragons. N64. No. It's like a, it's kind of like a 3D fighter, but like, it has these characters that look really similar to like, Dragon Ball characters, but they're not Dragon Ball characters. Hmm. But it's, it's, it's a pretty interesting game, and it's one of the only games I've ever seen that's done this. So it has a system in it, and it has like a SD mode, and I think it's called HD mode or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, you play as, you play two different fighting games in one fighting game. And so, like, when you, if you choose the SD mode, the characters look completely different, and they f- play completely different, but it's the same characters from the other mode. And, mm. yeah, it's, it's it's so interesting. It's like playing, like, like Tekken and Virtual Fighter, but the oh. characters just look different. Yeah, so it's like, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a cool game. It came out for the N64. I used to play it a lot when I was younger. Is, what, is, is, what did you say it was called? Flying Dragons. Flying Dragons. I yeah. looked that up. I've never heard of that. It's it's cool. And it's cool. had some weird fighting games. Yeah, I, think, I, I want to say there's one called Fighters Destiny that was like more of a point based fighting game. If I <laughs> if my memory serves me correct, uh, where you're in these tiny arenas and like you can hit certain parts of the body, but you want to mostly knock out the person out of the ring for the most part. Yeah. Or like make that fighter stumble in a way. I I I might be talking out of my ass here. But I'm pr- I think that's what that game was. Yeah. I need to look it up again. Because I saw it and I thought that looked really interesting. It's interesting you say that because this game kind of had a system like that. Not knock them out of the ring. But it's like if you... Like the screen would go dark and then a certain part of their body would like glow. That mm-hmm. means that if you hit that part of their body, they can't block there. And if you oh. hit it, it'll do extra damage. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I never. I gotta look that up. That sounds cool as hell. Yeah, it's pretty dope, yeah, man. Like the way that you're into, like you like looking up N64 games. That's how I am with Saturn games. Okay. I never grew up with a Saturn. Most people didn't grow up with a Sega yeah, Saturn. Yeah, most people. Yeah. I love the Sega Saturn. Sega Saturn's pretty shit. I'll be honest, <laughs> but I love the Sega Saturn. I love collecting for it. I love like discovering new games I've never heard of. Also because the Saturn is so easy to play Japanese imports on. And there are so many games from Japan that never came out over here. Yeah. That are just super fascinating to just look at. Like a lot of arcade style like action games, fighting games that never came over here, stuff like that. Like just stuff I never heard of. Yeah. Or like 2D shooter, like top down or side scrolling shooters that just never came out over here. There's a lot of really cool ones that just blew me away more recently. Huh. So I love me. What was it? I, I discovered one game recently. Um 
Well, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say Discovery recent, more like reacquainted with because yeah. a friend showed it to me, but I couldn't remember what it was. It was an old Taito game called Kekurendan. It's it's only like five or six levels. It's a top down shooter, um, very much like a Toa Plane shooter. I don't expect you to know what that who that is. Toa Plane is a company that made a lot of like very unique like top down shooters. Okay. They, they very much have their own distinct style. Yeah. yeah. And this game from Taito very much emulates that type of game. It may have been by the same developers and Taito just published it or like that how that developer splintered. I I knew this at one point. I don't remember now. But anyway. Hmm. Get Curtain Don is a top-down shooter. You're just uh, you're time traveling to find this one guy, and you're going through like like the 1940s World War II to like present day to the future to like the farther distant future, and you're just fighting through these like squadrons of enemies and stuff like that. Um, all the levels, this comes back to the music. All the levels have like the same theme, yeah, but like in different interpretations of it, like different oh, variations good. of I the love same when they song. Do that, yeah. It's super cool and it's so good. Just look up the just look up the soundtrack for Get Curran Don. I think it, like that was the one lasting effect that game had on me. I played that in like 2009 for the first time. Okay. And I just remember really loving the music, but could not remember what that game was until I discovered it on Saturn like within the last few months. Shit. So that that and uh, Salamander Two. That game fucking owns. Like God, is it hard? What uh, is a Salamander Two? Uh, are you familiar with like uh, Gradius from Konami? Like those side-scrolling shooters, like really old. Yeah. NES era Gradius. Yeah, I like, some uh, It's from that type of series. It's like Gradius and Life Force, and then they kind of splintered and kind of became their own things, but they're sort of they're still the same. Okay. Salamander follows the Life Force format of just like a static upgrade path. I want to say okay. that, I want to say that's that because Gradius, you can get these upgrade bubbles and then like press a button to like determine like which upgrade you want. You're like, oh, do you want options? Do you want lasers? Do you want missiles that fire out? You can choose, or do you want speed ups? Okay. Um, Life Force or at least Salamander too. Uh, you have a fixed path, so you can't choose what upgrades you get. You just get collect an upgrade and just goes through them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Two <laughs> D shooters are wild, dude. Yeah. Especially on Saturn, there's so many of them. <laughs> yeah uh i hope that gives you an idea of the kinds of games we're into yeah just a little you know just a little taste <laughs> uh yeah isaiah as always thank you for being on this first episode as always <laughs> of course thank you david yeah uh that's been button check we'll hopefully i don't know we don't have a schedule for this uh we'll figure something out uh let us know what you think uh on twitter i'm the I'm, I am at the underscore Dave Tona. I don't know if you're on Twitter. Kinda. I forgot what my Twitter handle is. Uh, I never use it. So yeah, you don't. Um, I'll put it somewhere. Yeah. If I could find it, I don't know what yours is either. I'll just send it to you. Okay, that works. Yeah, so you'll hopefully know where to find us. But yeah, that's a button check. Thank you for listening. I will catch you next time. Later.